Hello and welcome to another episode of the Best Picture Must Be Doing Something Right podcast. I'm here again with Jamie. Hello. Hello. And we're back for the second part of a 10-part series reviewing all of this year's Best Picture contenders. Uh, the first episode, if you missed that, um, was on The Power of the Dog, um, the latest film from Jane Campion. And you can find that normal places, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Uh, but today we are looking at uh, the latest film from Guillermo del Toro, his follow-up to the 2017 Best Picture winning film The Shape of Water, and it is Nightmare Alley starring Bradley Cooper, Kit Blanchett, Rooney Mara, Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe, Richard Jenkins and David Straffan. And uh, let me get the... I should have had the uh, plot description um, sync, ready. Yeah, well, incredible cast. Yeah, I think there's six Oscar-nominated actors in there. Uh, yeah, the um, according to IMDb, the what they put as the synopsis: an ambitious carny with a talent for manipulating people with well, few well-chosen words hooks up with a female psychiatrist who is even more dangerous than he is, and that sort of happens for like like halfway through the film, isn't it? We're a presented spoiler in a way. Yeah. Yeah, sort of. I mean I mean it's down to interpretation in terms of their relationship, isn't it? With um, I, I um Buddy Cooper and Kid Blanchett's character, but yeah. I wanted to see this on the on the Guillermo del Toro name and the poster alone. So yeah. I was quite glad that I did I did I, I didn't yeah I didn't watch um any trailers for it. I just went in blind, and yeah, you can sell this film based on you just see those four cast members on the post. For no bit cheeky, putting Tony Collette on the poster, she's barely in it. I'm but, surprised they left Willem Dafoe out if they were going to put Tony yeah. Collette on. Yeah, he's a pleasant surprise. I didn't know he was in it, so it's nice to see yeah, him sure in the first part of the <laughs> film. Um, but I do think it has a sort of issue like. With this is a adaptation of a novel from 1946. There was a previous adaptation of this film in the film noir era of 1947. So it was more, um, more sort of like that. That that took place. Um, you know, that was film like ten years or so after this was set, which it gives it a different response to it. But what was what I was looking at in terms of the what I was saying about the original. Nightmare Alley is that um, it was different to most film noirs because it didn't have major Hollywood stars and with oh, this right. film it's interesting because it's just packed with Hollywood stars which is yeah. sort of what Del Toro sort of moved into actors. yeah so like when the film opens and you first see Bradley Cooper get off the bus and going into the carnival uh, after he escapes the um, a burning building that he puts a, a body into which is kept a you know um kept a bit mysterious until we yeah. learn later on in the film what that's about so that brings the crime element that makes it a noir even though it isn't m- as much of a traditional noir it's not like a, it's not like a murder case which you'd have a traditional uh, traditional from noir it's more that it's escaping the past and then trying to create this this new life for himself when we see the rise and fall but the point i was trying to make before was sort of like when he m- walks into the carnival and then you see all these other carnies there and you see rooney mara's character and it's like oh, okay she's gonna get involved isn't she because you know she's the major hollywood a-lister amongst these you know sort of unknown actors it's i mean sort it's of like, like it, it, sets, say... it sets the narrative straight away it's one of the most predictable films that i've watched in the past couple of years, but I mean yeah. that doesn't necessarily that doesn't take away from it necessarily. But 
if if no. if that frustrates people, it might not be. It depends be... what you want from a thriller, isn't it? Really, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because I mean, we talked about this just before, just before we started recording. There's some very long films nominated for Best Picture this year, <laughs> and in terms of creating, you know, a a mood and a narrative which keeps you focused and keeps you clocked on. And that's that was about, like my biggest issue when I have watched a lot of cinemas for studying reasons. Um, it's very hard to keep audience focuses on these kind of narratives. And one thing that Del Toro does brilliantly is he keeps your focus and awareness. So it's sort of like, oh, even yeah, if absolutely. you know where it's going, you want to see what he does when he gets to that point. How does he present these set pieces? How does he make the reveals happen as they happen? I was pleasantly surprised how quickly I got hooked in. Oh, by, yeah. by the way, did you did you think um, Bradley Cooper was going to be a silent protagonist or, or yes. a near silent protagonist? I was like, there's no way. I, f- I thought because they, or, or, so... just, or just yeah, minimal dialogue. <laughs> but I think he really because because I was looking it up. It takes almost twelve minutes for Bradley Cooper to say his first line, even though he's in every scene at the beginning yeah. of the film. I think he's in pretty much every scene of the entire film. I will be. Yeah, so it's a case where I thought it was going to be one of those moody things. I was um sort of similar to like um you know like Leonardo DiCaprio's performance in The Revenant, yeah, where he's on screen all the time, but he just barely says anything, and you sort of get an impression of what he's doing, how he's dealing with situations, just based on sort of facial expressions. But I think what Del Toro realizes is that it's a case where this character is a very subtle. It requires a very subtle performance, and you can't have both. You can't have them not saying anything and not doing anything, because otherwise, it's a very bland central character, isn't it? But I feel yeah. like it. It sort of it shows about him growing in confidence over time as well. Because he's he's very he's very passive in, for like the first third of the film. Mm. So if he wasn't saying out, you he wouldn't be much of a main character, as you say. But but man, he just like as soon as he starts talking, he doesn't shut up. <laughs> the entire film. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I did actually, I did quite like his performance. To it's likable. I don't think it's amazing. I, 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 did, I it's messaged you. Performance. I thought it was just good. I messaged you and I said, uh, I said something along the lines of, it's a bit of a boring thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I think his looks do a lot of the heavy lifting in parts of this where you can find you can see that the charm that he has on yeah. on I women think... you know there's like three three different characters that are objects of affection for him in the film at various points and you can see that that's mainly to do with that he looks like bradley cooper you know it's just a very classic straightforward leading man yeah but and, I mean, and it's, it's interesting yeah because he was he replaced last minute um leonardo dicaprio supposed to play this role so, Neither of them are good choices for this role. Exactly. I'm just going to kick off that controversial <laughs> statement right there. For the first half of this film, he's being called like kid, yeah, and boy. Yeah, and I, I, th- like, I think what? he comes into his own a bit more once we move away from the carnival and with several years into the future, and we're also away from Willem Dafoe, who does a lot of uh, scenery chewing in this film. <laughs> a lot, he, a he's lot a of delight. Stealing. He's a delight in this film. Um, not the most likable of characters, but a really interesting <laughs> one at that, and it helps that it's him. I don't um, know. Actually, he's he's a bad person, but he's he's weirdly likable. Yeah, I'd say I'd say it's that way around. Yeah, because he's quite obviously he's like a is a classic carny host. 
Yeah. And that is a bit, you know, from the 30s, 40s, where he's a bit, he's, he's shady, but he's good to his, he's good to his people, that sort of thing. Yeah. And well, he, he, know, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to exploit his audience. You know, yeah. it's a whole thing of, um, you know, where we see in the beginning of the film, um, Bradley Cooper going into the tent to watch basically what Willem Dafoe has. He has this like geek, doesn't he? They call it. Yeah. Which is basically like a drunk, a drunken man who becomes sort of like part monster because they're just fed and he gets fed a live, um, a live chicken. Well, that's um, what uh, at the time, the that's show. what a geek was. A geek was like a strange thing or an, yeah. uh, an inhuman thing. And and that's why it helps that Del Toro is the director for that. Yeah, yeah, because there's, it no be- actual, there's no actual supernatural. It's the first stuff. of its films that doesn't have that <laughs> element. It's so strange. But, but he presents it as if that was the case. Yeah. Which is, which is exactly how the Carnies would sell that kind of experience exactly. to their audience as the, as the original version of the supernatural, you know. Right. And, and, and what I was saying about that was that you can see straight away about William Defoe's character is sort of like he clocks Bradley Cooper's character, who ends up not paying to watch it. Yeah. And yeah. Then, then when he goes to get paid at the end of his shift, he docks the amount. Did, yeah. D- deducted the fee, yeah. So he's clever, like he's sharp. Yeah, and that really helps settle the tone for. I think that first half of the film is the best part of it. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Because it just has so much character and and the scenery and stuff like that. The um the set design is is all all brilliant because of that. It really sets a nice tone for it. And then when it moves into these this it's other section, it becomes yeah, it becomes dry in comparison. And you're sort of waiting for the big stuff to happen, which does happen towards yeah. the end of the film There's but you're bit... just sort of sitting around waiting for that more than anything because the 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 tension sort of has gone right away because of the first half yeah. there's a bit of a of a character shift which i found a little bit annoying because there's a two-year time skip yeah and the way he's changed in that relatively short amount of time it's like well either we should have seen this happen yeah or it shouldn't be this drastic i mean what's happened yeah, because... I mean, and it's I guess he's gotten overconfident is the is the most straightforward explanation. Yeah, it's not very satisfying. Because he sort of um this is minor spoilers, but not so much. Um it was it sort of run he runs off with Rooney Mara's character, basically. Yeah. Uh, I won't say more than that. And basically the idea was that they were going to set up a a show elsewhere. They don't need the carnival anymore. They can create a life for themselves away from the carnival and Rooney Mara's character is one that she's a character that sort of like she gets like electrocuted doesn't she but she can withhold withhold the the shocks and I was thinking okay it's going to be like a a two-person show um Bradley Cooper's character he learns these tricks of fortune telling and such mind reading isn't it um it it might have been and I thought there'd be that plan. kind of thing, but then it becomes all about him and yeah. being being he's you know this incredible mind reader who puts on these big shows, and he's he's just sort of his assistant, and it's sort of like not much. Um, well, she still has her carny roots at heart more than anything else, but I, I don't know. It has to force this narrative with Kate Blanchett in the second half of the film, which is very separate from everything else in order to get to that point. It's sort of like, we're just building, we're just waiting for that like final half an hour yeah, where like things are going to happen. 
so it's like the first hour is exciting. Se- second hour drags a lot, and then last half hour is brilliant. And that's what that's what we were saying before about what we'd rate the films in terms of if we're giving star racing. I was thinking in throughout my mind, yeah, seven out of ten. This is solid. It's strong. Yeah. Uh, but then that final, especially the final scene, just just sells it. What it, it to, to being yeah, four star. I, I think the I think the final scene is absolutely brilliant. And we'll talk about that later on in the show once we uh, talk about the spoilers um, of the film. But but I think that final scene sort of leaves you in a place where, like, okay, this is worth it. It goes full circle, yeah. you know. And, I mean, then, say, and then you it can... fits with fits in with this sort of narrative of, of the rise and fall. You can, you can see it coming, but yeah. it's like it's still, it still, it pays you, off. Be, because you're waiting for see, seeing how... Del Toro executes it, yeah, exactly. which is why it helps while you have a, a master auteur um, at the heart of the film um, directing it. And why, when you're going to adapt a film or readapt a film, uh, you've got to have the right person uh, behind the camera in order to make it work. And I, I just think it's a really solidly created film. This, in terms of like, I don't think it reinvents the wheel at all. No. But what it is, is solid entertainment it's a really decent thriller, high level of filmmaking thriller um which you don't really see that often anymore there's there's often like one or two that, that breaks away especially around the oscars circuit sort of thing but they very rarely get nominated for best picture and it it helps when you have a master author behind the camera too to sell that oh, yeah. to a modern audience where it's more and more difficult to have their attention I mean, you can absolutely tell its roots in being a, a reasonably old novel. But yeah. the, the thing where some things that I find a bit frustrating yeah. can be explained in that uh, Del Toro basically picked the plot elements that he liked from the original novel, then added his own spin on everything. Mm-hmm. And that we'll, we'll talk about a bit more in spoilers, but that, that will explain any story problems I have. Yeah. The way they look. The way the film looks and the way it's acted is just like, and the, the way it keeps your attention. Yeah. Absolutely. And, it is great. And it moves away from being traditional film noir, which hasn't aged particularly well, as I was saying. I was sort of I've, I'm well-versed in, in film noir. I've studied it yeah. a lot. So I sort of know that these films the are very hit. They're very hit and miss and they don't age the best. So in order right, to take yeah. those elements, but not make it a film noir as such, but but have noirish t- um, tendencies and traits, which makes it work in terms of uh, gripping the attention of the audience. So yeah, it's a really interesting film. I really recommend people check it out if they haven't done so. It's not a perfect film by any means, and it's one that's worth sticking with if you get bored. Like at a part, I don't think it was boring though. That's the thing, um, but. If you are bored doing with it, it's really worth sticking with because it goes some some places towards the end, which I think are very very yeah. smart, predictable, but still smart. Um, so it's nominated for four Academy Awards. Um, Absolutely. Uh, this film, this is the let me work it out sixth. Uh, no, it's not seventh nomination. No, sixth nomination for Guillermo del Toro. He's nominated there for Best Picture as a producer. He previously not won best two. Best director, unfortunately. He's, no, I wouldn't have expected so though. It's solid from what you're looking for from best yeah. director. I guess there's, there's only just, a couple of the big yeah. quote unquote moments. Yeah, it's it just it was just one of those ones where 
Um, it just didn't perform well enough in the precursors in order for it to get mo- enough momentum to get nominated for Best Director, I think, this year. Um, he and did the win, rest are aesthetic. And he won Director last time around for The Shape of Water. So And yeah. also won Best Picture for that. It's also the ninth nomination for Bradley Cooper, who's nominated as a producer as well for Best Picture. Um, this is his are fourth nomination. Both producer and actor? He was he was eligible for both, but he is only nominated for Best Picture. But I mean, um, when you say it's his ninth, yeah. is that... Oh, in all categories. He's been nominated in four okay. different categories. Oh, so, right, he, yeah. so he has three nominations in Best Actor, Silver Linings Playbook, American Sniper, and A Star is Born. Uh, one nomination in Sporting Actor for uh, American Hustle. Uh, one nomination in Best Adapted Screenplay for A Star is Born. And then Best Picture nominations for... Um, okay, I'll, I'll test you on this one. Right. Bit of quiz. Yeah. Quiz action for you. The four... But, so Nightmare Alley is one. Yeah. The three other films that Bradley Cooper has been nominated for Best Picture for. Is one of them Licorice Pizza? No. Oh, it, no, he was produced? touted for he was touted for a nomination in supporting actor for that, but didn't get it. Right. Wasn't produced for that. So one of them is a Star Is Born. Yep. One of them is this. Yep. Uh, Two of us. Nightmare Alley. Two others. Uh, did he co-produce American Sniper? He did. Yes, American Sniper. And the other one is a bit of a surprising one because he's not in the film. Oh, I probably oh, okay. That's that's gonna it's gonna bug me. But what is it? Joker. Oh no, I did, I did see that because he was in um, the Hangover, which were the Todd uh, Todd Phillips films, aren't they? Yeah, that yeah, that's trilogy. So they you became producing that. About this a long time ago in another life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, enough with the trivia. Um, I, I find it interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, four four nominations for Nightmare Alley. It's a drop of um, I think one is nine from uh, The Shape of Water. I think got thirteen nominations uh, last time around for um, the Tor- yeah, Oh no, I was I was looking at the, sorry. I, no, no, that's Pan's, Pan's Labyrinth. I'm looking for that got what six six oh, nominations. Film. Yeah, but wasn't nominated for Best Picture. I think it would have done in should, a year. Should have won Best Picture. Wasn't nominated. I think it would have been in a year of ten. But the thing what was won that, that, that was um, the Departed, but it was a weak Ooh. year for Best Picture. Like, like I've probably probably the worst best one of the worst Best Picture nominees I've ever seen. Yeah, not the worst, but one of the worst was that year, which was The Queen, which is a horrendous film. I don't know how <laughs> that was nominated for Best Picture. It's so boring. Um, but that how that got nominated? No idea. Anyway, that one. Um, that one in three technical categories, and that's where the three uh, other nominations come for Nightmare Alley is in the is in the technical categories. Got a nomination in cinematography, costume design, and production design. Um, oh, I don't know. I'd call, I, 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 it's not an official term. I kind of nickname them aesthetic categories. If you see where I'm coming from, okay. Right, technical. I'll I call think them like editing, yeah. sound, cinematography. Yeah, yeah, that makes cinematography makes sense. Yeah, and then the other ones are crafts, aren't they? More than anything, yeah. aren't they? Costume design and production design. Very controversial this week, actually. It's very topical that we're talking about them. Uh, have oh, you heard yeah, about they're the... They're not going to broadcast them. Yeah, this, this was a case a couple of years ago. There was a big campaign to present all 24 categories live. Now 23 categories because the sound ones have been, been combined. Yeah. But it was a case a couple of years ago where they were going to drop some of them as an idea of... Um, to try and get viewing figures up because they've been very low recent years but the thing was <laughs> when the viewing figures were high for the oscars they presented all the categories and yeah, the main so people that would want to watch the oscars are people that want to watch all the categories like the the tagline of the show this year is movie lovers unite 
people that actually out the technical categories. Exactly. I would rather see all of them presented than having comedy sketches. Yes, comedy sketches, waffle from presenters that have no chemistry, song performances. I don't care. I just want you know to make it more of a spectacle. Spectacle. I get keeping the song performances. Yeah. You really don't need comedy or these long sketches at the Oscars. Yeah. Because the thing is, they don't present all of them at BAFTA because BAFTA isn't done live, but they get around it by showing them afterwards, after the show's finished, so like right, these were the other categories. But the thing what thing is, what they're going to do is going to present, present them an hour before the ceremony starts, which sort of ruins the whole anticipation for what's going to win the major categories. Because yeah, often if it, you're predicting. Yeah. For predictors, it, it's, it's so important. To, to, for the Yeah, but it's so important to set a narrative during the night. Yeah. I remember when Parasite won Best Picture, because as soon as Bong was announced as director winner, you thought, yep, yeah, it's going to be, it's, yeah, it shifts. Yeah. 1970, it was 1917, now it's Parasite. And it's sort of like, it just shifts your thought process as it goes on because and it creates a narrative for the ceremony how how the ceremony goes um so i think they should um present all of them sort it out academy please um because it's you know these people have worked their entire lives to get to the pinnacle of their craft and they should be celebrated for that uh let's first talk about the cinematography uh dan Lalston was the um, cinematographer for this, a dangerous cinematographer. Um, cinematography is very good in this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's all about the colour palette again, which is a similar case with The Shape of Water, um, which uh, did not win cinematography. It uh, was nominated, though, as lost to Blade Runner 2049. Um, uh, this year, uh, Nightmare Alley is up against uh, Dune, The Power of the Dog, Tragedy of Macbeth, and West Side Story. Um, I don't think it's going to win best in photography. I think it has, has a chance. It has a chance. Yeah, I, I think it's between. It's between. But we talked about this last time, didn't we? Between Dune and Powder Dog, I still give Dune the slight advantage because more people would have watched it in cinemas than Powder Dog because that's because Powder Dog's Netflix. Yeah. So I would probably say Dune is going to win in cinematography, but I, um, but uh, yeah, I can see a world where Nightmare Alley wins, but uh, I think it's unlikely. Because it's not, it's not like wide landscapes. It's not like in the same vein as something like uh, Roma, for example, which one, or or, or the Revenant, or it's sort of like, uh, or Life of Pi, something like Life of Pi, something like that, which has those um, wide technical uh, sort of shots. But looking at last year's winner, Mank won in this category last year, which is very much um, period setting, similar kind of era. Black and, and white. Yeah. Well, well, not. It doesn't matter too much that it's black and white. I think that's why it's won because it stands out from the other nominees that year. Yeah, but it won over Nomadland, which is the showy landscape film. Um, well, Mank is you know all about shooting interiors and stuff like that, which sort of plays into the hands of similar kind of cinematography styles, which which creates a narrative for Nightmare Alley to particularly to potentially win it in that category. Um, costume design, I think. It, was this the case where I was, I was talking to you about this when the nominations come out? Was it, was it this category that costume design and production design were exactly the same? There was, there's um, two categories this year that are exactly yeah, the same. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't think it's costume design. I think, is it cinematography and production design? Could be. That sounds about right. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it's the exact same 
five nominees in production design, Dune, Nightmare Alley, uh, Power of the Dog, Tragedy of Macbeth, West Side Story. What do you think of the chances here in comparison to cinematography? In production design? Yeah. Oh, I think it might win. I think it has a chance, yeah. Especially yeah, especially the beginning of the film where it's set in the carnival. It's very impressive. It's it's so it's showy. And I don't mean that in a in a in a harsh way. It's, it's showy in a way it needs to be. Yeah. It's got two different films <laughs> going yeah. for it. It's got two different setups. Exactly, yeah. You have the it's very grandier the, the second part, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is so it has the uh so that's like the traditional period setting, while the other one's sort of uh well you have exteriors and interiors. It's the easiest the easy way of putting it, isn't it? Uh yeah. So well <laughs> well well Dune isn't doesn't have that many interiors, it's more about the exteriors. And um and that sort of, uh, and it's also helped by having more uh, props and stuff, which also counts as part of production design. You think of a film like Mad Max Fury Road, which one in this category doesn't have a lot of production design because of the sets. It's it's mostly to do with, like the cars and stuff, which does count as production design. So, um, so Dune is sort of like a, a similar comparatively to that. Um, but uh, and the Power of the Dog, the same. I think that's mostly to do with exteriors um, more than anything else. I don't think the interiors are that amazing. There are some nice shots. We talked a bit it's about this. In a, in a yeah, but it's not a showy one. Yeah. Um, West Side Story is period set, but it's shot in a weird way, which I think um, negates its chances in cinematography. And I don't think it looks that great. It's, it's not a standout. It's not thinking, you don't come out of West Side Story and think, oh, yeah, the production design is great in that. Well, you do with Nightmare Alley. And uh, Tragedy of Macbeth, oh, I haven't seen it from being honest. So let's get around to that. But it's just effort, isn't it? Um, but that's also one that's dominating in both categories because things are the same. Uh, but yeah, Mank won production design as well last year. Um, the, so some the of the cool. recent win, win, Chef of Water won production design, um, and so did Pan, Pan's Labyrinth. So that's two uh, Guillermo del Toro films that previously won in this category. I think, I think if it has a chance said. in any of, I think it's if, if it has a chance in any of the four, that's the one I'd, I'd favourite for. But if I'm being honest, I'm. I'll probably predict Dune, but I will see what the guilds say more than anything else. Um, I think Dune might disappoint people. The, well, the people um, that want it to yeah, win a lot, I think it be, might disappoint Because me. it missed in director. Yeah. So that's sort of... If if you're saying, oh, it's the best, best technical film in cinematography, costume design, production design, yeah, it's got no acting nominations either. It's got no director nomination. It's got no screenplay nomination. You know, nah. where is it, where is it sort of wins coming from? Is it normally? I wouldn't be surprised doubt... if it walks away with nothing. I doubt myself here. Hold up. I need to check this. Um, I, yeah. well, I mean, it's not too important. Uh, that's his screenplay. But if you know, you know. Yeah, I get that. Absolutely. I don't uh, yeah, it is nominated in screenplay. But that doesn't matter. It's not a te- technical award. So um, I, people are sort of like checking it off because it is the technical aesthetic film. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> but, quite, quite yeah. Lightly, yeah. And costume design is the other one. It's advantages, again, the, the period costumes, which tends to be a winner in this category. You look at recent winners like um, Maureen's Black Bottom, you've got Little Women, um, Phantom Fred. You know, these are kind of last three winners are traditional uh, period costumes and um the nominations this year are cruella cyrano dune nightmare alley and west side story well here's where it's going to win the best costume in the film absolutely 
girl's head on a spider. Yeah. That was a that was a very, very good costume. I tell you so yeah, that yeah. design is both is somehow cheap, yeah. funny, but completely unnerving at the same time. And yeah. I, that's gonna win them production design. <laughs> costume design, yeah. yeah. But no, but I meant what More, I said. production design. Okay. In fact, in fact, because it that counts is. as both, right? I guess so, yeah. Because it's both like puppetry, it's like a stall at the fair. Yeah. But it's also a costume for the actor. I guess so, yeah. So it's both. It does have some does have some memorable costumes in there. So you think like Rooney Mara's costume at the beginning half of the film. And also there's a lot of memorable hats in this film. Like oh, yeah, does a lot of the heavy lifting. It is a very much a hat film. Um I, I'm predicting Cruella, I think, at the moment for production for costume design, just because it's so showy. It is the it's the it's the yeah. modern choice, isn't it? So sort of of the vein of Black Panther and Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find the recent uh, winners in this category. So um I'd probably predict Cruella. I think that does have a chance because of, as I say, memorable costumes. And yeah, one of only three uh, best picture nominees almost here. Uh, so I think it has a chance, but I wouldn't bank on it. I think it would have needed more support in other categories where it wasn't really that close in, if I'm being honest. Like, I remember predicting for the nominees. I wasn't thinking the Toro as a contender and director, Bradley Cooper as a contender and actor, um, screenplay. Kate Blanchett could have easily got nominated in supporting actress, considering she was also nominated at SAG for this. The yeah. fact that it missed in some key categories makes you suggest that it doesn't have that widespread support that perhaps needs to pick up victories yeah, so in other categories. Yeah, the isn't really paying attention to it. Yeah, but the fact that it does have that Best Picture nomination means that it will be watched by the Academy at large, which will definitely help its chances in those technical categories. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to move on to the spoiler section now so we can talk a bit more about the narrative. So if you haven't watched the film already, I'd recommend clicking off and then after you've watched it, um, come back, come back and listen to the end of it. But um, uh, but yeah, I definitely recommend to the film to anyone that hasn't seen it. Uh, but now we're going to talk about uh, the uh, end of the film. So if you have seen it, please continue listening. If you haven't, please click off now. Okay. Well, right. It, the way I put it, it is, goes a bit mad, doesn't it? It's it's one of the most something that kind of frustrated me is it's 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 one of the most avoidable downfalls in film yeah. history. I mean, I get that's his character. Is that it becomes like it comes from nothing and he's, he finds this one thing he's talented at and he gets quite smug about it after he's dedicated that much time to it. The character art makes sense, but there's so many <laughs> he's worn so many times. I mean, the script is that the characters in this film are generous to him in yeah. a sense that they, they're constantly giving him out, <laughs> which, he, which he just he just <laughs> does not take. And it, yeah. get, it does get a bit frustrating, but it, it pays off, I think. But you understand. You understand yeah. all of it, because the the one word that came to mind while watching the film is just alluring. It's just an alluring film. Yeah. It's, it drags you in and pulls you in to sort of like, you know that you shouldn't. It's all about temptation and greed more than anything else, both from the part of um, how he deals with Kate Blanchett's character, who plays a psychiatrist in the film, obviously. Um who is sort of trying to get under his skin and using him. Yeah. Um, the, the, the whole thing was that they were going to make this, uh, you know, make a dent in this town, as he says. The use of her having all that information that comes from the therapy sessions, which helps his reading act exactly, of yeah. knowing the information before it's happened, um, 
while also the greed that comes in with his um, when he deals with Richard Jenkins' character, um, who is paying him ten thousand dollars a session, which I was looking into it uh, equates to about two two hundred thousand dollars per session in current um, in current money. I mean, so mysticism wasn't as hot at this time. Um, no. It was sort of like late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. So part of the reason why everyone's warning him not to, warning him not to do the spook show, as they call it, yeah. is not only because it's dangerous and unfair on the the mark, but also the people who are still interested in it aren't people that you're gonna want to you know give that much of your of your time to to put it lightly. People like Richard Jenkins' character that uh, they're looking for something so specific and they believe in it so much that they are going to be extremely yeah. controlling and, and violent as he was. So it was Which, it's yeah. one of the things he was warned many times <laughs> to not do the spook stuff. Yeah. And he just he just like he gets greedy as you say. And and that sort of plan he devised to re- to dress Rooney Mara up as a that was nonsense. Awesome. It's like what are you doing? That, that no, it's a bad a idea. It just, won't, it just won't go well at all. Um, oh. Which is sort of like why it, it it neglects the point and it shows him as being not a true carny uh, as such that he doesn't realise there's a difference between carnival performances and dealing with real life. You know, if you perform yeah. at a carnival, it's people... There's a barrier are, in it's a, a It's a paid attraction rather than a service, and it's done as a case where you're never going to see these people again. And it's also done in a very vague way, which sort of, like, um, says... It's one of those things, like, for example, oh, you love, to, you love the company of others, but sometimes you like to spend time alone. So it just... Just yeah, that's the thing with cold readings. So that, that is the thing. Which you can't do when you're trying to suddenly, you know, do this sort of Ouija stuff. Yeah, the spook where show is speaking too to specific. The, yeah. Leaves too much of an impression, which the carnival is just supposed to be fun. fun. And it, how he didn't see that and how he just kept pushing it, it was just infuriating. It's because he wasn't taught the whole thing entirely. He's just nabbed the book. I want to talk about that. Who he does kill in the film as well, <laughs> you know. Um, one thing I can explain that I read is that something which annoyed me is uh, the the rift that happened between him and Molly, yep. played by Rooney Mara, makes more sense in the book because in the book, he was never really enamored with her. She yeah. just got she just like latched onto him after he saved her from getting arrested. Yeah. So that it makes more sense the way they yeah because it apart in in the book. Because the relationship makes no sense in the film. Yeah, in this sense, it's like, well, he's part of the reason he wants to go is to get her to like a better life. Like he's, he's like re- he's really enamored with her, and then he's not listening to her at all, even though she knows all this carny stuff better than him. It's a tip for all the lads out there. Uh, yeah, if you want to pull, just draw a picture of her. When you saw it, <laughs> I can't believe that pays off. <laughs> My and God, she, she knows that he's having an affair because he drew a picture of her. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that's what I was going to put as my review. You know, it's just a case where, oh lads, make sure it's, it's the original. It's the nineteen forties version of you know screenshots and of yeah, text. exactly. He brought receipts. <laughs> no, but that's how their how his relationship with Rooney Morris started as well. Falls in love with yeah. him because of his drawings, and then sort of he gets caught out because of the drawings as such as well. So, um, 
again, it's yeah, the, the bookends and that makes sense. It's just some of them don't quite hit. And no, that 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 part of the film is sort of all ridiculous, and I think it only sort of works itself back into a situation where because it has that sort of like that car chase sequence, which makes it exciting, and and the 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 threat and the peril involved makes it an exciting watch because you want to see sort of what happens towards yeah. the end which sort of makes that bit pay off even though it is incredibly awkward to watch like the whole thing with where Rooney Mara comes out of the car and sees Richard Jenkins it's, it's, it's just painful to watch especially coming after that really graphic scene where um, I do recognise that actress I can't remember her name it's the one that's Mary Steenbergen I know she was in the Stepbrothers, that's what I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah, the, the yeah, where, wife. Yeah, yeah, where she just shoots him point, point blank and then shoots herself in the head. And sort of like that that sort of mini section of the film where it's just really awkward to watch and really uncomfortable. <laughs> and also the bit where he's coming back for the money and saying, oh, Kate Blanchett's taking it. It's like, shock, why did you leave the money with her in oh, the first that, place? That, that's what I mean. And then all, the the, most... all this betrayal is like, oh, I'm so surprised. Oh, that's... It's always the one you least expect. That's yeah. what I was originally going to say. Uh, after I watched it, I thought, I'm going to come into the spoiler review and I'm going to say something along the lines of uh, the, one of the most predictable betrayals <laughs> in all of film history. <laughs> but that ha- it has to happen because it's dug itself a hole. I mean, it, and it happened be... in the novel as well. Yeah, so and it's, that's, it's, that's it's... the conflict there. But that's the thing. That's how the film's moved on from being yeah. the, the, the original film and the original narrative being set for a film noir film, while this one I don't think is a film noir as such. It's just noirish. So it's using it, using Kate Blanchett's using the character as a it's portrayed as a femme fatale when yeah. in a film that doesn't need a femme fatale at all, but I mean, it does need it in, in the really in the original in the yeah in the original traits of it. Re, if you read the film as a noir, it has to exist as a femme fatale yeah, exactly. because otherwise it just goes doesn't go anywhere. That part of the film, and so 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 Stanton, the character played by Bradley Cooper, has to make these stupid decisions like leaving the money in her office and stuff like that um, to. To, so it can actually work but it does sort of like fit itself back together by creating this by fitting the whole rise and fall towards well, the end of the film so we've seen the rise and then the fall is really really well executed they they do that the dumb the like the dumb decisions to get to that plot point to get to that scene but that seems really well executed so that's why i was like i'm torn between yeah. like a seven or a bit higher <laughs> yeah because... i think the, yeah because the final scene it reminded me of we talked about it before um it reminded me of the final scene of joker you know the the um oh, what's broke? so funny what's so, what's so funny is like you wouldn't get it yeah um it's exactly the same in the way that bradley cooper comes into tim blake nelson's office begging for a job and sort of like i have a job for you and and you're waiting for it. It's, yeah, the thing you're waiting for the temporary line. You're waiting for. Uh, yeah. It's only temporary. So in um, case people listening have forgot or have just listened on without watching the film and don't care, we establish <laughs> in the first act how um, Willem Dafoe's character recruits new geeks, and then at the end of the film, it happens to Bradley Cooper, and he just lets it because it's just because yeah. he's given up on life. Yeah, yeah. But the thing was that. Um, the this is how the film differs to the original. I was reading into this. Basically, it was a case with 1940 cinema where you couldn't leave films on a downbeat note. There always had to be some because kind of positivity. Code, yeah, because yeah, post-war and stuff like that. 
So the line is in the original film, Mister, I was made for it when yeah. offered the role as the as the as the geek. So it's what something that was sort of like, um, oh, he's going to do a great job. He's going to, you know give it his all sort of thing. Um, well, this one, it uh, ends in the downbeat note of um, Mr. I was born for it, yeah. which is sort of like, he's always been a geek. He's always, always been a bomb. And it's also dealing with, we learn by this point about um, that the body is actually his dad's body. Um, it was, 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 he's a weird, I've never seen a, a murder like this in film or an implied murder where he's just in a cold house, he opens the window <laughs> yeah. and takes his blanket off him and just lets him freeze to death. He shows a bit of a, it's, a, it's really weird. He's a bit of a coward as well, in a way, in the sense that he couldn't do it himself. He had to yeah. do this really elaborate... And, but it's yeah. not like he was doing it to hide evidence, because he then went and burned the house. And it, so what did he bother burning the house for? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, just to, just to leave it as a, there's no trace of it left. I guess there's a lot of stuff done for style, but it's it's not like the film has no yeah. substance. No, so I don't. And and that, that final scene sort of leaves at a point where, the, this is actually you know, a story of a tragedy more than anything. Yeah, it's a it's a tragic interpretation of the American dream, really. Um, the rise and fall and rise and fall and that's what makes it work effectively i don't think it's a perfect film by any means but i think it's an, an effective piece of cinema which i think is it's a film that i think is is better than more i thought about it it's actually yeah, a, a better film than on on the surface you might watch it and oh, think oh this is a bit enough but actually you think more about it, it's like I know what Del Toro is doing here. And ultimately, it kept my attention throughout. And I think it's just a quality piece of cinema. It's, it's, down, it's down the bottom in terms of its chances of, be, of Best Picture. I didn't expect it to get nominated for Best Picture. I agree. Um, but I'm sort of glad that it is. It wouldn't personally be in my... It wouldn't get close to my personal top 10 of the year. So because sort of seeing it in that aspect, do you think it deserves to be nominated for Best Picture? I'd say no. But it is... I, I think it's my fourth favourite of the, of the 10... I've seen nine of them. I haven't seen Drive My Car yet, but I, I would still be voting it in my top five. That you vote when when you vote for the Oscars, you have to vote yeah the preferential yeah. preferential ballot. You're one through five. It would make my five, regardless of what I think of Drive My Car as well. Yeah, so, well, I think it's going to make a lot of people's fives. That might give it more of a chance. It's not going to win, but that might no. give it more of a chance than we've we've given it credit for. And I think it will stand up quite well as well because it's done quite a classic style. Um, I think it will hold the test of time. It might, probably, it's probably not going to be one that's talked about in the same way that um, from our Pan's Labyrinth or, or Shape of Water is going to be talked about in terms of Guillermo del Toro's crowning achievements in his, in, yeah. in his film, filmography. But I think this it's was a, one This that, was an but, easy day at the office for del Toro. It's, it's, a, it's a film that people are going to come back to and say, okay, this is actually pretty good. This, is, yeah. this isn't going to be bad. It's not going to age badly. Okay, so we'll leave it there. Um, thank you, everyone, for, for listening. Make sure thank you... you um, uh, thank you, Jamie, for coming on. Uh, make, you. Sure you follow, yeah, make sure you follow the podcast uh, on whatever platform you're listening, listening to it on. And also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. On Twitter, it's uh, bestpicture underscore pod, um, Instagram bestpicturepodcast. Uh, and, yeah, you'll be able to see it whenever we put out another episode. Still got loads more to do. So also need to help with some collaborators if anyone could help out with recording those episodes because 
probably get, getting a bit behind now. I've just got over a month to the Oscars. <laughs> We've still got eight episodes to record. So so we'll see how how that does. But thank you everyone for listening and I'll see you next time. Thanks very much. Bye.